time is, uh, is an amazing thing. You know, we, uh, we live our lives uh, around this thing that we call time. Uh, time to eat, time to sleep, how much time do I have before I need to be somewhere? Um, how many of you have ever asked the questions, or how many times in your life have you asked the question, what time is it? All right? Um, well, physicists, scientists don't fully understand time. There's some amazing things about it, uh, <clears throat> but they did. Uh, they did come up with a, an atomic clock. Uh, this was actually back in uh, 2013, um, and this atomic clock is based on uh, and, and one of our periodic uh, elements, uh, ytterbium, and uh, ytterbium atoms, they use that at the National Institute of Standards and Technologies, um, came up with this new clock. It's not something you'd want to put on your wrist. <laughs> uh, but, but this clock is accurate to, with the, well, they say, within about one second every, 1400, every 14 billion years. <laughs> That's pretty accurate. I don't know who's going to be around to check it. <laughs> but theoretically... Uh, it would only be off by maybe one second in uh, 14 billion years. Now, uh, I'm not going to get into a, a, a deep evaluation of, uh, you know, physics evaluation of time. First, I'm not that smart. Uh, second, I don't understand it all anyway. Uh, third, I don't think the physicists understand it all anyway. Uh, right? <laughs> so, so we're not going to try to understand... How and why, if someone were to spend a year on the top of Mount uh, Everest, they would be able to celebrate New Year's Day 15 microseconds earlier than somebody who is at sea level. That is, if they both started at the exact same time, one on the top of Mount Everest, one at sea level, and their clocks were exactly accurate the person on the top of Mount Everest would reach New Year's Day 15 microseconds before the person at sea level. I told you, they don't understand everything about time. Time is relatively faster at the top of Mount St. Saint, uh, Saint. <laughs> I'm going back to, uh, going back to high school. Mount St. Helens, Mount Everest, I'm sorry. Time is relatively, but it's faster at the top of Mount St. Helens too. Time is relatively faster at the top of Mount Everest because there's less gravity up there. Time and gravity are somehow interrelated. All right? Well, that's not all. We won't worry about this either because we're not getting into a deep physics lesson here today. Uh, we won't worry about... Um, how and why, if you were to take two clocks that were super accurate, exactly the same, and you were to leave one on the Earth and put one on the space shuttle and spend the space shuttle up into orbit and orbit the Earth a couple times and then land it again and then compare those two clocks, one of those clocks is going to be slower than the other one even though they're both exactly the same clock and have the exact same accuracy. And 
even though one second on the earth is exactly one second, and when I'm up in space looking at the clock up in space, one second up in space is exactly one second. But yet somehow or another, those two exact one seconds, when I get back down to the earth, are different. You say, oh, come on, scientists don't know what they're talking about. That's crazy. That can't be. But the reality is gravity and speed both affect time. It's just the way things are. Uh, in both cases, the clocks are, are exactly accurate, and one second in each of those clocks is exactly one second. But yet, they're different. Do, 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 do. Uh, now, you may not believe this, but most of you count on this almost probably every day. Uh, how many of you use your GPS? Right? On your phone, in your car. All right. Well, if those satellites that are up there orbiting the Earth did not compensate for what I just explained... If they didn't, because the clocks are accurate, so the, it's not the clock's fault. They have to take that clock and say, oh, okay, we're going to make a correction because we know there's a difference between that clock and this clock, even though they're exactly the same, they're exactly the same, only different. And they have to actually mathematically compensate for the difference in those clocks. If they didn't do that, your GPS that you use on your phone or in your car would be off by six miles a day. Time, right? Um, because exactly one second on Earth is different relative to exactly one second on the satellite. But they're both one second exactly. Yeah, go figure, go figure. Because of this phenomenon, they, um, you, know, you would think that if I started a stopwatch at exactly the same time on Earth and exactly the same time on the satellite, that they would always be exactly the same if the stopwatches are both completely accurate, but they, they won't. To, to put this, um, you know, this idea a little bit more in a way that you're able to grasp, if you had a set of twins, let's use Henry and Benjamin. Henry and Benjamin are twins, exactly the same, right? I know that they were born a little bit, uh, you know, a couple minutes away from each other, but that doesn't matter. But if they, were, uh, if they were on this earth, and you took one of them and put them on a spaceship, and you sent them up into outer space, and that spaceship got, let's say, half to the speed of light, or started approaching the speed of light, uh, and let's say that spaceship was gone for six months, I, I didn't calculate the exact right reference. You need to know the speed and all that. They can calculate it. But let's say that spaceship was gone for six months. They had a clock on, six months. And Henry is only six months older. When he gets back to Earth, his brother Benjamin could be 20 years older. His twin brother would be 20 years older in, in a hypothetical example. Speed affects time. Six months, literally only six months passed for Benjamin. 
But for Henry, it was 20 years. Time is, time is wild. It's beyond my understanding, right? But it's fun to think about. So I called this message this morning, uh, A Christian's Timeline. There you go. See, I told you. I told you. <laughs> um, this morning, I just want to cover some, some basic things that you and I should know about uh, the Christian's timeline. Before we do that, let's go ahead and get, uh, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, thank you again for these folks who have taken time out of their busy schedules. Uh, I know that there is always a lot of things going on in people's lives, but Father, these people have chosen to uh, set some time apart, uh, to come to the house of God, to spend a little bit of time singing praise to your name, to worship you, to pray, uh, and to hear the word of God preached. Pray that you administer to them, uh, work in their hearts. Uh, Father, you know what they need better than I do. Uh, so we put things in your hands and just ask you to be here at the service. Ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So first, uh, before we get, you know, too awful uh, far into the, into the subject here, um, if, if you're watching online or if you're here this morning and you are lost, if you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, uh, you need to know something about uh, the timeline. And that is, about 2,000 years ago, the Lord Jesus Christ... Um, came to this earth and died on Calvary's cross. And if you have never been saved, if you've never been born again, if you have never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, your Savior, and all those three things are synonymous, um, if you have never done that, then this timeline has some very, very bad news for you. And even Einstein can't make this timeline relative. <laughs> uh, if you're lost today, this timeline... Uh, ends in only one place, unfortunately, that is the lake of fire, All right? Uh, if you die without the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, the, the reality is you go immediately to hell, and you spend at least a thousand years in hell, and then here's what happens. <clears throat> in Revelation 20, we read this in the Bible, and I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. This is at the end of that uh, thousand-year period. I'll give you a visual in a second. Um, and I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which are written in the books according to their works. That is, the great white throne judgment happens on this timeline after this 1,000 year period we call the millennium. And the Bible says in Revelation, and the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and the death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire, this is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. <laughs> what a thing. I hope you're saved today. I hope you avoid that, that uh, final ending of this timeline. But that is, that is what you have uh, happening at the end of uh, at the end of the of the timeline for those people that choose not to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. The, that
that decision is really much more grand than you think. Right? Jesus Christ was crucified on that cross. He died. He was a Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. He died to pay for your sins and for my sins. And when it's all said and done, when you stand before God and you're judged, you're judged on one thing, not how good you were, you're judged on your sins. And if you don't have anything to pay for your sins, that means you have to pay for them yourself, which is eternity in a lake of fire. So if you, if you haven't trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, listen, I ask that you do that today. Amen. So there's plenty of people here. Ask somebody. We'll get, you, we'll get you the information, the help that you need. The decision is too big to put off. And like I said, even Einstein can't mess with that one. But for those of you that are saved, we'll take a look at this timeline. I want to start with Genesis chapter 1. Uh, turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Genesis chapter 1. And what I want you to do, folks, uh, as, we, as we get into this a little bit further, I want you to get a, a pen or a pencil out with your Bible, and yes, write on it. Dog ear the page, underline it, make some notes in your, in your Bible. Uh, don't, I, I've heard of some people who are afraid to write in their Bible. It's just a book. It's a holy book. But the pages aren't holy, if that makes sense. This is just, the pages are just pages. Right? What's said in there is what's holy. So write it, scribble in it, circle it, underline it. That way you can find it again. Don't be afraid to do that. Um, but in uh, Genesis chapter 1, the Bible says this, in Genesis 1.1, In the beginning, there's where time was created. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. So God creates time, he creates light, eventually he creates space, and he creates gravity, he creates all those things that scientists are still trying to understand. Take a look in chapter 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in uh, in it, he had rested from all his work, which God created and made. Uh, So we're, we're given some insight as to how God sees time in the Bible as well. I know he created it. And I know that in seven days, God created the heavens and the earth. That seventh day was a a, a day of rest. Take a a look in your Bible and turn to uh, Psalm 90. Psalm 90, verse 4. Psalm 90, verse 4. And here's what the Bible uh, has to say about, uh, you know, time from God's perspective, from God's view. For a thousand years in thy sight are as but as yesterday. When it is past, and a watch in the night. Psalm 90, verse 4. There's another one, another one, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Uh, and I'm going through these kind of quick, maybe just write down the reference. But 2 Peter 3, 8 says this. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Again, what are we talking about? Time. One day with God is equal to a thousand years. So seven days would be 7,000 years. 
Well, you say that's crazy. Well, look at, um, um, you know, look at Genesis 1.20. And the Bible says, the Bible says this. It says, and God said, let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life. And fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament above heaven. So that is, after four, if one day with the Lord's a thousand years, a thousand years is one day, uh, we see that God made creation in seven days, and that's going to match man's history. There's going to be seven days, or 7,000 years. We see in the, in the creation sequence, there's four days that have passed, and then on the fifth day, life shows up. That is Genesis, uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 20. God said, let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life. Well, that is right after the first day, the beginning of the fifth day. Guess when Jesus Christ shows up? After the fourth day, the beginning of the fifth day. Coincidence. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> All right? Jesus Christ, uh, Jesus Christ uh, in John 1, 4, in him was the life, and the life was the light of men. Life showed up after that fourth day. John 14, 6 says, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. Right? And the Lord did that so that he, we could see this, this timeline and equate it to uh, the creation, that seven days of creation. And, and again, 7,000 years in man's history is just like seven days of creation. It's a picture. It's a pattern. Um, and we folks have roughly been through 6,000 of those 7,000 years already in man's history. This is where we are at. Our calendar is off by a little bit. We don't know how much, but Jesus Christ died nearly 2,000 years ago, and we are right here, near the end of this thing that we call the church age. Um, and folks, uh, this, that yellow time period from the time of Christ to where we're at right now, uh, that is a, a special time period where God deals with men and women differently. There's some unique things about that time period that, um, you know, that we get to benefit from. And I just want to take a look at a couple of those this morning. Um, <clears throat> so, so we wind up in that, uh, you know, in that, church, in that church age. And let's take a look at a couple of the, uh, the benefits that we get in that church age. Well, number one, uh, the benefits that we get is uh, salvation, ladies and gentlemen, for you and I is a free gift. How many of you had to go down to the temple and offer a calf, slaughter a goat, or a sheep, or a lamb? How many of you had to do that? How many of you have done that so far? Uh, none of us, right? Why? Because God changed some things and he was our sacrifice. He was our lamb. He was a sacrifice for our lamb has already been sacrificed. Our sins are washed away for those that trust the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation, ladies and gentlemen, in this time frame, in this church age, is a free gift. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 2, Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. This is where I want you to circle these verses, underline them, write them down, whatever you need to do. Take notes, but make sure you can find them again. Salvation is a free gift. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it says this, For by grace are you saved through faith. It is a gift of God, not of yourselves. Uh, or, um, is <laughs> and that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Uh, Titus, Titus 3, 5 says this. Titus 3, 5 says, it says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy. 
he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. So Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, underline that, circle that. Titus 3, 5, underline that, circle that. Uh, one more I'd like you to look up. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 3. Take a look at verse 28, Romans chapter 3, verse 28. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith. Without the deeds of the law. Salvation is a free gift in this age. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, we, uh, we have it really good. The Lord gave us an opportunity to have our sins forgiven absolutely free. All we have to do is trust on what he did on Calvary's cross. Amen. That is a blessing. That is a benefit of being, uh, you know, of being alive during that church age, during that yellow spot right there, that 2,000 year time frame. Now we're getting close to the end of it. But that's one of, the, uh, one of the benefits. I'll tell you another benefit of uh, being uh, where we're at. Uh, another benefit, ladies and gentlemen, when you trust the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are adopted as a son. Right? Um, again, Galatians 4.1 in your Bible. Turning to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. Highlight this. Mark this. Mark it down so that you can find it later. Galatians chapter 4, verse 1. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, verse 4, God sent forth his Son made of a woman, made under the law, Jesus Christ coming to the, uh, to the earth, right? To redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. We, uh, folks, you and I, when, when you get saved, when you trust the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you get adopted. Your family changes. Uh, you become a son. You gain an inheritance that you didn't have before. My, my, father, my father was born Robert Henry Garcia. Most of you know that. My father was adopted by his stepfather, Frank Grissom. At that point in time, legally, he was changed. He became a Grissom. Right? Uh, genetically, he was still a Garcia. You know, a wicked sinner. <laughs> you get the picture. You get the type. But legally, legally, he was now a Grissom. A, a son of God. A saved, sinless child of God. Moral of the story, if you're a Garcia, you're a wicked sinner. If you're a Grissom, you, it's okay. No, but... But the picture, the picture is the same. When you, you know, whatever your name, whatever your name is, doesn't matter. Before you were saved, you were literally a wicked sinner. And when you get saved, the Lord adopts you, and you become legally somebody else. Genetically, you still got to deal with the old stuff, Amen. right? I mean, genetically, I think the Garcias had, you know, diabetes. Everybody in my family had diabetes on my dad's side. <laughs> that didn't go away. That didn't go away when he got adopted. But legally. He was no longer a Garcia. 
What a blessing that is. That's what happens to you when you get saved. I mean, the Lord is, the Lord is gracious, right? That is, um, uh, that's, again, that's what it's like being saved. I'll tell you another thing that you get during this church age that on this uh, timeline of where you're at. You are given the Holy Spirit. Now, I know there's a lot of people out there who, uh, you know, ask the question, do you have the Holy Spirit? Do you got the Holy Ghost? Do you got the Holy Ghost? Do you got the Holy Ghost? And you can look at them square in the eye and say, yes, I have the Holy Ghost. You know, they may be looking for something else, but the reality is, yes, if you get saved, if you get born again, the Holy Spirit is sealed with inside of you. Take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 13, Ephesians chapter 1.13. I hope you're you are, um, uh, writing these down. I hope you're making notes in your Bible. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. And the Bible says this. It says, In whom ye also trusted, <coughs> after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after, the, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Ladies and gentlemen, when you got saved, the Lord sealed the Holy Spirit inside of you. You can't get rid of him. Amen. Take a look at chapter 4, verse 30. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. The, <coughs> the, Bible, <coughs> the Bible says this. It says, And grieve not the Holy, the, the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed until the day of redemption. The Holy, when you get saved, the Lord takes that Holy Spirit, puts it inside of you, seals it there, and you know what he does? He keeps it there until the day of redemption. You say, when is the day of redemption? Well, your soul has already been redeemed, but your body hasn't. That day of redemption is when your body gets redeemed. In other words, when you're raptured out of here or when you die. Right? Until the Lord's ready to redeem your body. That Holy Spirit is sealed inside of you. You're set. You're good. Um, you're given that, that Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19, it says this. It says, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you. Have you gotten the Holy Ghost yet? Well, yeah. The Bible says it's in me. <laughs> I got it. Right? Uh, <clears throat> you know, know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God. God gave it to me, and ye are not your own. Uh, one more I'd like you to, to, to note down and to, to underline in your Bible. Turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Uh, again, just uh, some of the benefits that we get for being here in the church age and being alive during this time frame. Some of the benefits that you receive when you become a child of God. When you trust the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Romans, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Take a look down at verse 9. It says this. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Mark that verse. Underline it. Highlight it. Circle it. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is, is uh, life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal uh, bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. You know what the Bible says, ladies and gentlemen? Anybody ever comes up and asks you if you receive the Holy Ghost? You say yes. 
And if they begin to argue with you or they begin to not believe you, hey, listen, if you don't have the Holy Ghost, you're not saved. Right? Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. If you don't have the Holy Ghost, bottom line is you are not saved. You need, you need to understand that, right? We're given the Holy Spirit. I'll tell you another thing that we're given is we are giving, we're given this thing called eternal security. Eternal security. Praise the Lord for that. And that is this. That is the Lord takes the Holy Spirit. When you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Lord gives you all these things. He, he gave you salvation as a free gift. He adopts you as a son. He, he, he <coughs> gives you the Holy Spirit and seals that thing inside of you. And because of that whole process, you are, you are secure. You couldn't, you couldn't make it to hell if you tried after you get saved. And I know some Christians do. For whatever reason, they get mad at God and they live a life where they try to get there. But you know what? They're not going to make it. Why? Because the Lord already bought them, already paid for them, and they're not, they're not their own. They, they don't decide where they go. God's already decided that. When they trusted Christ, God paid for it, and no matter how bad they mess up, the Lord Jesus Christ still looks at them and says, you're still my boy. <laughs> you're still my son. Yeah, but look, Dad, how much I've messed up. You know, it doesn't matter, kid. I still love you. You're my son, and we've got to have a little talk about a few things here, and we'll get to that in a minute. But, but in spite of all that, you're still my son. I'm so thankful for that. That's one of the things that we get by living in this, uh, in this time room. Take a look at, uh, well, we look at Ephesians 1.13. Um, you know, after ye believe, you are sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. The Lord Jesus Christ sealed you with that Holy Spirit. You can't unsave yourself. And nobody else can unsave you. If Ephesians 4.30, we looked at already, you're sealed until the day of redemption. Look, take a look at John chapter 10. John chapter 10 should be a familiar passage of scripture. John chapter 10, look at verse 27. John chapter 10, verse 27, the Bible says this. It says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hands. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all. Well, praise the Lord for that. The devil can't get you. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. You, you can't get unsaved. I and my Father are one. And finally, one of the last things I wanted to cover this morning is uh, for when you get saved, listen, you are put into the body of Christ. Uh, it says in Ephesians 1, 22, and, hath put all, and he hath put all things under his feet, given him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body. You know what the church is? The church is the body of Christ. Amen. The church is the body of, the church is not this building, <laughs> right? This is, where, this is where us, our part of the body meet, because it's convenient, but the church is the body of Christ. And when you get born again, when you get saved, the Lord puts you into the body of Christ with every other believer. Right? The church, which is his body. And in Ephesians 5, take a look at Ephesians 5. We'll, uh, I'll try to, to hurry, try to hurry through this. Ephesians 5, it says this. Wives, 
uh, 5.22, Ephesians 5.22, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. You say, whoa, wait, what is that all about? Just, just give me time. Husbands, you got your responsibility too, right? It's not a one-way deal. The Lord's watching you probably even more than he is her, so just, right? For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. The Lord's making a comparison. Therefore, as a church is subject unto Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives just a little bit? No. Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Husbands, you're supposed to do that. When you fulfill that responsibility, then you can maybe complain about your wife not fulfilling hers. But live up to yours, right? Um, husband, love your wives, even as Christ uh, also loved the church, gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but, th- but that it should be holy without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own body. He's spending a lot of time on men. <laughs> so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. For we, who? Christians, are members of his body, of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave the father and mother and be joined unto his wife. They too shall be one flesh. But this is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Right? So the, the, the church is a type of the body of Christ. It is the body of Christ. And when you get saved, you get put into the body of Christ. You become, uh, you know, you become part of the, the body. You become the bride of Christ. The church is the bride in different places. I don't have time to go into all the verses. Um, and when the Lord comes back, <clears throat> when the Lord comes back, ladies and gentlemen, he is ready to take his bride out of here. And we call that, at the end of this time frame, the rapture of the church. And that is, everybody who's been born again, who has been saved, they are going to be caught up in the air to meet the Lord, and we are going to be transported up in the twinkling of an eye to heaven. And we're going to go through our own judgment. It's different than the other one we talked about so far. We're going to go through the judgment seat of Christ uh, while we're up in heaven. And, and that's where we as Christians get judged on how well we were Christians. So, right? Think about that. We, we don't escape judgment just because we're Christians. It's just a different judgment. Um, and uh, the, the, the Bible talks about the rapture in, in 1 Corinthians 15. You hear it preached a lot of times, even at, at, at funerals, right? Um, now this I say, brethren, 1 Corinthians 15, 50, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. In the Bible, in the Bible sleep often is referred to as, uh, death is often referred to as sleep. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, the trumpet will sound, the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. In 1 Thessalonians 4, chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it says this. Uh, it said, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which 
are asleep. In other words, your grandparents, your great-grandparents, those that have died before, Christians that have died before us. Don't be ignorant about it concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. We which are alive, and that yellow arrow goes up, hey, everybody else all the time before us, they're going to be, Lord's going to bring them with him. Right? We're not going to prevent them, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Man, those bodies are going to come up out of the grave. The day of redemption is now here, right? Then we, which are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. I'm looking forward to the day when the rapture of the church happens, ladies and gentlemen. The Lord's going to come back. Those that are dead are going to... You know, they're going to rise up out of the grave. Those of us that are still alive, if we, if we make it that long, and, and it, could be any, it could be any day, we're, we're at the end. Christ was here almost 2,000 years ago. We're getting close. I don't know how long we got, but we're getting close. It could be any, any moment. And when that happens, the dead in Christ are going to rise. And then, ladies and gentlemen, you and I are going to shoot up into that air. We're going to take a trip through outer space. It is going to be incredible. Now, I used to wonder this. If we get raptured out of here, and we go up into space, and we have the judgment seat of Christ and the marriage supper of the Lamb, why do we need seven years? Because that's what's going on down here on the earth, right? When we get raptured up, listen, folks, everybody who's not saved, they stay here on this earth. And that's when the Antichrist comes in. That's when the Mark of the Beast, 666, all that stuff, Armageddon, all that happens in that seven-year time period. While Christians who have been taken up at the rapture, we're up at the judgment seat of Christ. I used to go, certainly the judgment seat of Christ can't take seven years. I mean, that's enough to terrify you, I guess. But the Lord's much more efficient than that. So I'm thinking, okay, well, well, what do we do? We all get judged, you know, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble, and that's all said and done, and then what? We wait for seven years? So then I got to thinking about time. And I thought about it a little for a second. And I, uh, I got to thinking, uh, at the rapture, we're going to be traveling up with the Lord like a spaceship, Right? Now, you remember what happened with Benjamin and, and uh, Henry, right? <laughs> you remember what happens with a GPS satellite, right? And, and the clock issue that I mentioned earlier. Now, let me take a time out here and say this. This is not doctrine. <laughs> this is just me thinking of some really cool things. Right? You can, you can, you can toss it aside. Done. You can write in your Bible, you can throw it away, I don't really care. But, 
just for grins and giggles, I decided to think about it. So if one day with the Lord is as a thousand years, right? How long with the Lord is as seven years? That's a good question. Right? And it kind of works with the whole, you know, Benjamin and Henry thing, one being gone for six months, but 20 years passed on earth. Well, one day with the Lord is as a thousand years. So how much time do I have to spend with the Lord for seven years to pass? And I did the math. (laughs) Just for the fun of it. (laughs) Ten minutes. (laughs) Rounded off, just about ten minutes. So maybe, 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 because we're traveling at such a high rate of speed, time is different for us. And maybe we only spend 10 minutes with the Lord, but by the time we get back, seven years has passed on earth. Everything's good, grand. We don't have to sit up there for six years, 364 days, 24 hours, and 50 minutes. (laughs) Hey, the Lord... When it, when it comes to the Lord dealing with time, folks, there's some things that scientists can't explain. Either way, rather, we let, rather we're up there for seven years like they are here on earth, or rather time is different. Uh, when we get with the Lord, time is going to be different than what we know right, as right now. Okay? God, just time is, time is different. I don't understand it. But either way, after that, Christ is coming back. Well, there's that rocket ship example I gave you again. Either way, after that's all said and done, rather we're there 10 minutes or 7 years, I don't care. I'm kind of liking the 10-minute idea. It's just kind of fun. It's because I'm impatient. Hush. So after the 10 minutes and the 7-year tribulation, we're coming, uh, coming back with the Lord at the second advent. The Lord's coming back, and folks, that's when he is going to wipe out the devil. That's when he's going to wipe out the Antichrist. That's when when he is going (laughs) to make everything right that needs to be made right. We call that the second coming or the second advent of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's going to happen at the end of that tribulation period. The Lord Jesus Christ is going to come back, that, that flaming sword coming out of his mouth. We read about that in Revelation. And he is going to make all things right. He is going to bound Satan for a thousand years. Put him into hell and keep him there for a thousand years. And the Lord Jesus Christ is going to reign on this earth during the millennium, during that thousand year period. This is what we have to look forward to as Christians. This is our timeline. This is what's going to happen. I promise you, it's guaranteed. And that thousand-year period in the Bible is referred to as Christ's rest in the book of Hebrews. He'll enter into his rest. And it just so happens to correlate with the seventh day of creation, which is God's day of rest. Right? God gave us a map for man's history when he gave us Genesis 1 and 2 and the seven days of creation. And after that, thousand years is after that thousand years is complete folks that is when the great white throne judgment happens now you what the and I'm, I'm, I'm about done 
You know what the bad part is? If you're lost here this morning, if you were to die instantaneously, you would wind up in hell. No purgatory. No light sentence. No prosecutor changing his mind and, you know, reducing it to a misdemeanor or whatever he wants to do. God is just. If you're lost and you die and you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, instantaneously you are going to wind up in hell. I don't know what it looks like. But I know what the Bible says it's like. Where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. And I know by reading uh, in Luke, that rich man, when he died, he went to hell. And the Bible says he was in torments. And it says he lifted up his eyes, so he had eyes. And he seeth Abraham afar off, so his eyes worked. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham... He remembered. His mind worked. Send Lazarus that he may dip his uh, uh, finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. He remembered Lazarus. He remembered how he had treated Lazarus when he was on earth. So his, he's got eyes. He's got a tongue. He can speak. He remembers. He feels the torment, and he's begging for some relief. That's what hell's like. And even if somebody was to die right at the end of that church age period, or even in the tribulation, they've got to spend at least a thousand years there before the Lord snatches them up and sets them at the great white throne judgment. And then the kicker is, there's no hope. They get judged. Their name's not written. The Lord breaks out the book of life. And because they chose to reject Jesus Christ in their lifetime, because they never got saved, their name was never written in the book of life. And at the great white throne, the Lord opens up the book of life and he checks for their name. And after a thousand years or longer in hell, the way that the rich man described it. After a thousand years of suffering like that, you get pulled up, you stand before God. The Bible says, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. You will bow your knee to Jesus Christ then, whether you like it or not. And he's going to open that book. And if your name is not there, if you don't trust Jesus Christ, your Savior, it won't be. That's why you were in hell to begin with. Then death and hell immediately get cast into the lake of fire. And that lasts for eternity. That lasts for eternity. There's no, there's no reprieve after that. Whatever you decide here on this earth is set in stone for eternity. So if you're lost here this morning, listen, 
If you're lost here this morning, your eternity depends on whether you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior or not. You're going to spend one place or the other in eternity. Now, I don't know exactly what New Jerusalem and heaven and all that's going to look like, but you kind of get an idea that it's pretty nice. Streets of gold. Right? New Jerusalem, the walls are all those, uh, those 12 different stones, the gates, you know, one of them's a pearl, and just all the things that, that uh, you know, sapphire and diamonds and emeralds. and it, It's a beautiful place. God said he went to prepare a place for us. And so you have this contrast between heaven in eternity, New Jerusalem, heaven, or the lake of fire. And folks, man's on a timeline that runs for 7,000 years. <laughs> and we are at that 6,000 year part where these decisions have to be made. Because that 7,000th year works all over. It's, it's, it's a time of rest. And you, and you and I won't have an opportunity during that 1,000 year time frame to change anything. We're locked into what we decide here. I'm so glad I decided to trust Jesus Christ. I understand what happened to my dad. He was adopted. He's a Grissom. When he had me, I became a Grissom. Genetically, I'm a Garcia. Legally, I'm a Grissom. And if you've never been born again, you still are legally what you are genetically. When it comes to sin. Folks, if you're saved, you've been changed. You've been adopted. Legally, you are a child of God. And you got so many great things to look forward to. And that is all because you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. I'd like you to think about that. And if you are lost, do something about it. Do something about it. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, thank you again for an opportunity to be here. You are uh, a great God, a holy God. And Father, you've given us a book. And in that book, you've told us all of these things. You've showed us the timeline. You've explained how it works. You've, you've given us enough detail to be able to make an honest decision. And Lord, I know that most of the folks in this room here today are saved. They're born again. They're children of God already. And for that, I am thankful and grateful. Uh, for us, Lord, these things are just, uh, <laughs> they're an encouragement we look forward to it and we go, yes, I can't wait till that happens. But Father, maybe there's somebody here today who's not saved. Maybe they just put it off. Maybe they've been afraid. Maybe they didn't really understand. But Father, if there's anybody like that here today, I do pray that you'd work in their heart. Give them the courage to just come let somebody know that they have questions. And Lord, we'd be happy to sit down with them and answer any questions they might have. Father, for those of us that are saved, we thank you for the goodness, for the mercy you've shown to us. Pray that we might um, use it wisely while we live on this earth, that we might bring glory and honor unto you. We pray this thing in Jesus' name. Amen.